If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Dustin, Brian, Nicole, and Mike, come, come and play, play with us forever and ever and ever. Hello, from us. So we'd just like to say, and come and play with us all. <laughs> Some advice to mm-hmm. you? One important message. Don't, Don't go, go out. out. Don't go out there. Don't go out alone. Don't go anywhere. Stay. Stay, Stay forever and ever. And ever. And, and ever. ever. In a world where zombies, ghosts, serial killers, and vampires all exist, it's Nico, Brian, Mike, and Dustin, and they are all that stand between you and the films that could end the world. Welcome to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Podcast. Just want to thank all our fans and listeners. Really appreciate all the support. You guys are awesome. Thank you for your patience on this episode. We apologize, but, you know, I had some internet issues, and uh, but we're still going to pump this episode out. Before we get into it, I just want to give a quick shout-out to our website, don'tgooutthere.com. Everything about our podcast is on the website. All of our episodes and interviews from Episode 1 and Nightmare on Elm Street to our weekly release. Check it out there if you haven't. Uh, it's a great place to listen. We've got all of our interviews. We've done some incredible interviews in the past with horror legends, Jason's, Michael Myers, Freddy Krueger himself, some of your favorite final girls. It's a lot easier to find those interviews there instead of scrolling through almost 300 episodes of our show. So definitely check out the website. Uh, we just uploaded some new T-shirts to our website. You may an old wrestling fan. We got some NWO style shirts, uh, some old game. Like, was it like Nintendo style game with our logo on it? Check it out. The new T-shirts are awesome. Brian and Dustin have done a great job with those. I really like them a lot. And I'm um, shout out to our social media. Social media is especially important this month. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok. All of our choices this month are fan picks from, you know, we're nominating four choices and you're voting on them. So social media is very important. We love interacting with our fans and we love chit-chatting with you. So definitely check us out. Last thing we shout out is our Patreon called Blood Donors. Yeah, you're a big fan of a movie. You want us to review it. We have one-time donations available as well. We just got another final guy donor. So we got another blood donor review to do in a couple weeks. Or, you know, you're just a big fan of the show. You want us to help, you want to help us pay bills. You know, where we host our files, our website, the software we use to make YouTube videos. We have the traditional monthly reoccurring kind as well. That's all that money goes to is to help us pay for the show. None of it goes in our pockets. All right. Let's jump into our episode now. Uh, this is Brian's theme and it's his week. Uh, Brian, announce your theme and the winner. 
Well, you kind of announced a theme. It was just kind of going to be a fan pick thing where, you know, we nominated four of our favorite our movies that we, we wouldn't mind doing. And then uh, the fans picked. Interesting. Uh, 2019's Dr. Sleep is what won. I picked this because I hadn't gotten slanderous messages in a while and I missed them. Uh, no, no. <laughs> Here we go. I'm, I'm referring to our review of The Shining, to which I rated a seven, by the way. But, you know, people didn't like my hot take that I found it boring and, and overrated. So uh, they're not really going to like the, the fact that I think that this is not only a superior as a sequel, but to me, it's not even really close. Uh, it's been no secret on here that I love Mike Flanagan. You know, he's my new Kevin Williamson slash Guy Busick as far as writers go. And, you know, I love what he did with this. Uh, I'm not going to speak for my co-host, but I'll speak to what I've seen on the, the old interwebs in that uh, a lot of people don't think that Shiny warranted a sequel. But to that, I say nay, because Stephen King felt like it did. And so, you know, I asked many times over the years. He was asked many times over the years, apparently, what happened to Danny. So he wrote this book in 2013, FSU National Champions. Let's go. But uh, now what I love the most is that Flanagan did the impossible. Make a sequel to the book and adjust it so that this would also be a sequel to Kubrick's movie and King's book at the same time. So I say impossible task, but the dude did it, and I think it's phenomenal. And I think he was able to not only do that, but you know, expand on the stuff that Kubrick did, you know, didn't put at the forefront uh, of the original, unlike King's book, like we talked about in our review, most notably the shine aspect. Um, I love Obi-Wan Kenobi. I mean, Ewan McGregor. I think he's phenomenal in everything that he's been in. And I may be alone in this, and that's fine. It won't be the first time on the show. But to me, it's a damn near perfect movie and enhances the first one for all that it includes here, in my opinion. Now, it's also worth noting that we did the theatrical release. There is a director's cut that I will touch on some, but it's 30 minutes longer. So that would put it at the old three-hour mark. (laughs) All right, I'll go Thank you. (laughs) Dr. Sleep is a movie I hadn't seen, been wanting to watch for a while. But, you know, when you see that two-and-a-half-hour runtime, you're like, oh, man. you got to mentally prepare yourself for something like that, honestly. Well, I do, anyways, for a movie that long. Uh, I love Mike Flanagan. I think he's great. He's one of my top two, top three horror directors, writers out right now. Love him. Every, a lot of things he's done. But I'm not a huge fan of this movie, personally. Not that it's bad. It's well-acted, well-made. I mean, it's well-shot. A lot of There's a lot of good scenes like looking scenes, I would say. But I just, I don't know. I don't think that the movie didn't need to be made. Like, because I'm sure a lot of fans, you know, I I saw where, you know, people were asking Stephen King what happened to Danny, and they would like to know. Personally, I just really didn't want to know, I guess. Or I just thought the movie was too long and too, it didn't interest me, really, if that makes any sense at all. I just didn't really, there was no performances that were captivating enough like Jack Nicholson. And I know that's really not fair because it's one of the best performances in horror we've ever covered, but nothing in the movie really just sucked me in and just kept me like glued in like the shining because I hadn't seen the shining either. When we reviewed it, I was, you know, if you go back and listen to our review, my general thoughts, I, I said it then I was dreading watching the movie because I saw how long it was. I was like, Oh God, this is going to be long. It's going to be boring. But Jack Nicholson's performance captivated me and I was locked in the whole time. There were really no performances in this movie, and it's really not fair to judge it by The Shining, but hell, it's 39 years later and they made a sequel, so I guess I do have the right to judge it that way. 
But there were just no performances that sucked me in. There's not a story really that just made me want to keep watching or make me want to watch it again personally. But I will say I'm kind of like, you know, like I, I – <laughs> I memorized what Brian said many, many years ago with my pick, The Orphan, or not The Orphan, but Orphan. The movie's well made, it's well written, it's well acted, but I just didn't enjoy watching it, you know? So, and I think that's fair to say for a lot of movies. And, uh, I'll just leave it at that. I think it's well made, well acted, but I'm just, I didn't really enjoy watching it that much. Uh, go ahead, Mike. Yeah. So insert Hulk Hogan, Macho Man, Handshake Jeff right here, Nico. Uh, cause, we're almost on the exact same page. I think I like it a little more than you. Um, but look, this movie is well made because Mike Flanagan's a fucking man. Uh, it has got so many good shots. The acting performances of Ewan McGregor, Rebecca Ferguson, and Kylie Curran are fantastic. Um, and I do think they're engaging enough for me personally. Like I, I, I find them, even if I dip out and I check my phone or I'm doing something else, they pull me back in somehow. But that's kind of where my love for the movie ends. I don't like the story that much. Like, I don't find it that interesting of a plot. Um, of course, you can't... I have no real right to say a sequel should not have been made just because Stephen King, if he wants to write a, a sequel to his own book, has every right to do so. Um, but as far as a movie goes, I, I, I think this is a hot take on the internet. I'm not really sure. But everything that kind of nods to the Shining movie, I enjoy. Everything that nods to the book, I'm lost. Like I, like I don't you, using the shine in a bigger way is an interesting concept, but it just didn't land with me. Kind of like uh, Nico said, it didn't have my interest. I wasn't into the story. It is a damn good uh, as far as well made film. Like it's you know really high up there. I don't think Mike Flanagan's capable of making anything what I would consider bad, but the story peters out to me. It's boring. I, I'm not. 100% sure I cared what happened to Danny Torrance. Like, as bad as that sounds. So when you're trying to balance a bunch of stuff at once or you're trying to make a sequel that Stephen King actually likes and then you're trying to make a sequel to Stanley Kubrick's fans, I think you don't, you almost don't do enough in either direction and you're trying to serve too many masters. Um, for me personally, acted well, well made, just not my, not a story I was interested in for two and a half hours. Like, Maybe if you cut this movie down, and again, I know that's a typical complaint, but if it's a good story, I'm not going to complain. But the the story to me just didn't hook me for the full runtime, and I think that's a problem. But again, my tip of the cap to Mike Flanagan for this attempt, because it's really, obviously, there's the story of Stephen King not liking The Shining, uh, and he tends to like this movie. He corroborated with Mike Flanagan, so I will give them props on that. But I think we serve too many masters, and this movie, to me, just kind of gets lost along the way i think that uh the next time that i go to watch this movie i'm gonna go have a root canal instead um this movie is a prime example of what i've been complaining about for the past few months to you guys in our group chat uh, as far as the sequels and reviving franchises like that because i i don't need this movie there's not enough meat on the bone i don't care what happened to dan when he grew up and the story is just so convoluted. There's so many moving parts. It's like it takes you forever to kind of realize how it all ties together. And I agree. It's well acted. Um, I think the script is fine. Like the, the dialogue and everything is fine. Um, I like Mac, Mike Flanagan as well. Um, I thought, you know, Hush, uh, 
was Midnight Mass, you know, a lot of the stuff that he's done, I'm a really big fan of. But this movie, I told, uh, I don't remember who I said it to. It may have been in the group chat. It may have just been to Brian. But um, this movie would have worked so much better as a Netflix miniseries like Midnight Mass, like that, because it's long as shit as is. And if he could, but you still don't feel like, I, at least I didn't feel like I got enough of the backstory between all these things to really care about them. So, you know, almost three hours here, if you include the director's cut, if you give them another five hours and really do it right, I think they could have told a story that would have made me care more as my, or care more. And then, you know, I can watch it an hour at a time and I wouldn't have been as bored with it as I ended up being. Um, I agree with what you said, Nico. There's not a performance that makes me care as much as Jack did in the shining. And it's not necessarily the acting. It's not the performances that it's just in the shining. We got to see Jack's, you know, descent into madness. This one, there was no descent. It's like, okay, this is some shit that's happening. Catch up. And I, I don't know. I just, I didn't care enough really. Um, there are some things that I like about it, but there's just a whole lot that I didn't care for. I gave the shining an eight, eight and a quarter when we did it. And, um, this one is just, uh, it's not going to sniff a score that high. So I don't think I'll ever watch it again. I'm glad you picked it though. That way it can be behind me. <laughs> uh, not, I normally don't like to bring our group chat on this show, but Nico made the best point. I think he was kind of trolling, but he was right. Maybe a little more Kubert, a little less King. That's kind of my opinion about it. Nay. I, I know you disagree, but I'm just letting you know how I feel. Well, it's funny that you said that, uh, that you brought that up because, you know, you mentioned how Kubert or King wasn't a fan of Kubert Shining, but he really loved his 1997 yeah. TV movie or miniseries, whatever it was, right. The Shining. We see which one, when you say The Shining, what do you think of, 97 or 80? Yeah. And so. I love, you know, I'm a big Stephen King fan, but sometimes I think he uh, he gets a little bit too big for his britches. He, he thinks that he's right more than he actually is because heavily well, involved in this movie, and I don't ever <laughs> want to watch it again. Dustin, when you read the It book, you'll know he's too involved. Sorry, Brian, go ahead. No, I was going to say, speaking of being, you know, thinking you're right all the time, I'm uh, I'm I'm glad that I'm the only one that's right on this movie. So it makes me feel good. I'm glad. <laughs> hey, it's not. Hey, bro, I'll put this. Way. It's not that I, I don't like the movie per se. I just don't ever see myself watching it. Like I truly can say, that I probably will never watch this movie again on my own. You know, just but by my own choice. It would have to be some kind of body, like may, like maybe a fan pays us to do it again, which would really I'd have to consider stepping out of the game at that point. <laughs> Uh, Dustin, I want to agree with you. I think this really would be a good like Netflix series, yeah. maybe six, seven episodes. Uh, you space it out a little bit so you're not you don't feel like you're trapped watching one little th mm -hmm. you know one long movie out at one point. Because you're right, I, this is how I just felt. It's like you start off with Danny as a kid with Wendy, then you jumped him in 2011, then you meet Abra, then you move eight years forward again. It's like God dang, there's a lot going on, and then yeah. you didn't even explain the knots at all or breathing in the steam and all that. I just right. felt like a yeah. lot just happened in a long time, but I don't know what happened either. So that's just exactly. how I feel. And I, you know, I, you know, I watch like found flicks, dead meat, other people who reviewed the movie. And, you know, I do kind of feel for Mike Flanagan because you got these diehard shining fans who love Kubrick's version, but then you got Stephen King who's helping you do the movie. 
So it's like, how do you make both people happy? And right. Serving you know, too you're Mike Flanagan sure. and you got this giant gorilla on your shoulder. So he took on a big task and, you know, I think he did, I think he did well. It's just, I just didn't personally enjoy it. And that's my final opening thoughts anymore before we just jump into the scene by scene. I was going to save this for later, but this movie did a shitty job marketing itself. Like it barely mentioned the shining in the marketing. So it kind of bombed at the box office just, and we'll talk about the numbers later, but like as far as what a sequel to the shining could have made, it didn't really reference, like it didn't even, I know it's titled Dr. Sleep, but I almost feel like they could have included the shining in the title somehow. Cause maybe you would have gotten people to come actually see it in the theater. I mean, it did not do well as far as the box office numbers go. So, um, I think it just did a bad job marketing itself, maybe because it didn't want to tie itself too much to Kubrick. But man, it sure did do that in the you know last thirty minutes of the film. So I don't see what the problem would have been. Yeah, and you know, honestly, Stephen King remakes were doing good then because that's when It Chapter One and It Chapter Two came out, and they were exactly. both very successful. So yep. honestly, I don't even remember advertising for Doctor Sleep that much from 2019. Well, even Stephen King's Doctor Sleep, I bet people are uh, more people would have come to see it for sure. Alright guys, uh, this was a long movie, so it's going to be somewhat of a long review so let's just jump into it. The film starts with the shining score as we get a descending aerial shot of a campsite. Florida, 1980. Little Violet walks to the water's edge to pick flowers. She meets Rose the Hat, who sits there singing. She gives Violet a flower and explains why she wears the hat. She hears a twig snap as we see some of Rose's friends appear in the woods. She asks Violet about her and magic. More friends show up and they approach Violet as Rose won't let her arm go. They run to her as it cuts to a title card <laughs> as we see Danny riding the fuck out of his big wheel in the Overlook Hotel. <laughs> he stops when he gets to room 237. The door opens on its own as he sees someone appear. Danny wakes up from his nightmare and he walks down the hall and into the bathroom. He sees the leper woman behind the shower curtain and he shuts the door. I don't even know if that's leprosy, but I'm rolling with that. Wendy grabs his shoulder and hugs him. She takes him back to his room and asks for him to talk to her. He's on a bench now by the water. The spirit of Dick Halloran is by him now, asking him why he's not talking. And Danny says he won't shine anymore. It's dangerous. The overlook is boarded up and the ghosts are starving. Nobody shines like Danny. He tells him the darkest things will consume the shine like leeches. Dick gives Danny a box for him to learn inside out. He's going to build one in his mind even more special. Wendy is calling out his name, running up to him. We now see the missing child sign for Violet posted. Danny and Wendy watch Bugs Bunny until Danny walks away from the couch. He goes down the hall into the bathroom where the leper woman is, and he shuts the door. We hear the ghost screaming, and Danny comes back to the couch. He tells his mom he's okay. We meet old Dan now, who is getting hammered at a bar. He wakes up beside the woman and pukes in the toilet. New Jersey, 2011. He's in a bar fight now as a woman does coke and kisses him. Dan realizes money is gone, but finds it in the woman's purse. He goes to leave, and a baby starts to cry. He takes the baby into a room, and Halloran says to put her money back. We're in a theater now as a man sits by Andy. He says she's pretty and asks if they're staying here or going somewhere. She lays her head on his shoulder as Rose watches on. Andy puts the man to sleep and takes his money. She carves two snake bites into his cheek, and he can't explain this to his wife. He likes little girls, and she wants him to remember this the time he got bit by a rattlesnake. Crow Daddy tries to stop Andy as they walk out, and she tells him to leave her alone. Rose grabs her arm, and Dan wakes up in a drunken stupor. Aniston, New Hampshire, were at Abra's birthday party as a magician performs. David and Lucy see all their silverware on the floor, then suddenly it's all pointed towards the ceiling. 
abracadabra as it all falls to the floor. Rose and Dan feel the shine. Rose walks inside the trailer, and we see Andy asleep. She's gotten six men with the snake bites. Andy tells her she's the most beautiful woman she's ever seen. Rose says she's a pusher and offers her a deal. She asks how old she is and offers her springtime forever. Eat well, stay young, live long. Dan exits the bus and walks into town, Fraser, New Hampshire. Dan walks up on a model of the town in the park. Billy walks up asking if he likes it. Dan says he's running away from himself. Dan's at his new place getting lectured by his landlord. Billy tells him to find him in the morning for work, and they shake hands. Andy and Rose sit by the fire on the beach at night, and the others show up. She introduces Andy to Grandpa Flick as she lies down. No fear, you understand? Flick begins to speak, and they chant in foreign language. Rose says Violet is special, and she tastes like flowers as she begins to suck in her steam and breathe it into Andy's lungs. Andy panics as she breathes it in. Dan is awake in bed as he sees an arm wrapped around him. He gets out of bed, and the arm grabs him. The ghastly woman reveals her baby as Dan steps back away in fear. Dan goes to Billy's room and asks what he meant by knowing his look. I need help as he walks into Billy's apartment. All right, Brian, that's the opening set of scenes I got. I know it was long, but pause. Uh, what do you think? <laughs> Leave that in, pal. <sighs> pause. Um, they definitely play on the nostalgia feels right off the bat with that uh, unmistakable theme as that WB logo pops up. This is nostalgic for me, not only because it's The Shining, because, like I said, you know, I'm a hater, I guess, but it's nostalgic for me because of that first review that we did way back on episode 32. And we've done tons of sequels to movies we've done early on, but this this one's different to me. And I, I think it's because of those quotes like Nico saying, riding the fuck out of that big wheel and, and Dustin talking about Dick getting whacked. All of those things that we that that stuck with us over these three years and now 250 episodes later. And that's one reason why I love you know, doing this show, because now when I think of The Shining, I don't think of the movie. I think of our review more than the actual movie. But anyway, sorry for the sidebar there. Um, this opening with Violet, I think, is great because it gives us Rebecca Ferguson. And holy shit, I think she's good in this movie. She's fantastic in, in all the Mission Impossible movies, too. I know Dustin loves Tom Cruise. But, man, she's a she's a scene stealer and uh, plays this evil bitch like so well, I think. Um, this is one of those scenes in the director's cut that's longer, but man, uh, again, you know, having a daughter, this is just horrifying to see. And this uh, overhead shot by Flanagan as all of the true knots can converge on Violet it is is such a beautiful shot as well. Uh, shout out to the cinematographer uh, Michael Fimgarney who uh, stayed with Flanagan and did all of those uh, amazing Netflix series he's done, you know, thus far as well. And uh, I'll touch on it some in the last act, but I will here too. I love going back to the Overlook and, you know, and what King and Flanagan did here with the uh, the bridging, what we didn't see in the first movie and, you know, explaining more of the shine and Danny's ability. Now, fun fact, Flanagan painstakingly recreated the sets of the Overlook from from blueprints acquired from Kubrick's estate. And man, it's beautiful. Now, let me give you a complaint that I know is completely irrational, but it's something that I've hated since I was a little kid and they recasted April O'Neil on Ninja Turtles 2. I hate recasting actors and sequels. It just, it takes me out of stuff. And again, I know it's irrational, but we're at a point where, where deep fakes are so damn good, even just on TikTok, that, that it makes me want that. And uh, I wanted it in, in the movie Solo. I, I want it here. Now, I know that gets into rights and whatever, but come the fuck on. I mean, you're a movie studio. You have all Mike, Mike Settle money. I mean, it, it, you know, it's what I want to see. Hold now, up. 
Now, with that said, all of these recasted actors, I think, do a, an absolutely great job. And dare I say, Alex Esso, who is in that uh, the new Pope's Exorcist movie, by the way, she's a better Wendy Torrance than Shelley Duvall. What? Yeah, I said that. And again, it's not even close to me. So I'll uh, I'll leave the dick being whack joke for Dustin here, but loved seeing him back. And uh, Carl Lumbly sounds exactly like Scatman, in my opinion. Um, this was one of those things that that took some writing changes because in King's book, uh, Dick Halloran survived the first movie. So I thought it was a great idea. And uh, King, in an interview I, I watched, said the same thing, that uh, he thought it was a great idea to make him a spirit. I guess it makes sense. Um, just a few little things here. Pute girl from the bed that we're introduced to, uh, with, you know, as we're introduced to grown-up Danny, is actually Chelsea uh, Talmadge from the first season of Stranger Things. Uh, this beard looks way better on Ewan than the, the one we got from him in the Star Wars prequels. Thanks, George Lucas. But what makes this even more layered is the fact that McGregor is a recovering alcoholic. So I'm sure that this was one of the aspects that probably clinched him in the role as, as you know, one of the first things he said to, uh, to Flanagan was that he was interested in exploring recovery. So I thought that was cool. Just overall, very tense scene with the bathroom ghost as well, the whole deal. Love everything about the set of scenes and the introduction and, in some cases, reintroduction to the characters, including Emily Lynn, Lynn's Andy, who I immediately recognized from the Babysitter movies, which I'm going to pick sometime soon. Uh, such a powerful scene with them in the movie theater and, you know, her pushing on that dude. And with the ghost of Talmadge telling Danny that uh, they hadn't found them yet and the, the kid died as well, I thought that was gut-wrenching, horrifying to me, actually, actually scary. And I think the perfect thing story-wise to, to push Danny to want to help. That's all I had. Sorry, long-winded there. Uh, no, so, uh, look, I I like this opening scene. It's genuinely creepy. Uh, anytime you see a kid that's, like, going towards a bunch of adults, like, I I think the same with Violet is, you know, very terrifying. But back it up just a second. Love the fact that they used the Shining uh, song there. Like, it's it kind of lets me know at least what I'm in for because they didn't fucking use it in the marketing. If you plop down and you watch them, you're like, oh, that's the song from The Shining. Wow, this may be ha- this may have something to do with that movie and book. But anyway, um, Cosmic Warner Brothers logo, all that good stuff. I love, love Rebecca Ferguson's playing of the Rose to Hat. Like, as far as the character and what it does later in the film, I could probably take her leave. But that's not to knock her performance. She's great. Great facial expression. Just great acting overall. Um, and, and this scene is genuinely creepy, you know, because we don't ever actually, I mean, we don't see Violet again, so we have to assume exactly what happens to her. Um, I love these recreations of the Overlook Hotel as well. You could tell what you mentioned, the painstaking detail that Mike Flanagan and crew went to just to get it right. And they do a phenomenal job. It's really like, uh, I had no other comparison, but to see something that you haven't seen in like, a really long time and to kind of update it to a new version. It was almost like, you know, recreate and, and Dustin can attest to this. It's like recreating an old arena in a wrestling video game. So you could see it on like w- with modern graphics and modern technology. It kind of reminded me of that. We're like, Oh man, this is the overlook, but it HD 4k and all that. So I thought it was really cool to kind of see it in a new light. Uh, so I like that. And, and a difference from Brian and, and I guess Dustin can do shaking his head. I don't mind the recasting. Like, I actually think at, at some point, at least he made a call 
and that he stuck to his the, the, the decision. Because what I what I would have hated is if we got all these characters recast, and then later in the movie we, we get a Jack Nicholson deep fake. That would have bugged me. Because like, well, if you're gonna do that one, you might as well do them all. And they talked about just doing the Jack Nicholson one. They didn't. But uh, I I would have. I'm fine with the recasting. Like, it's not perfect. The kid doesn't look exactly like old Danny Torrance, but I can't expect him to. Um, and and I actually I, – I agree with Brian on this one. I think Alex Esso does a better job of Wendy Torrance and Shelley Duvall. Like, I, if you could go back and deep fake her into the original, I would have no problem with that. And that's no knock against Shelley Duvall. I just – I don't know. Her scream just still irks my ears. For Sorry, Brian. Go ahead. I think that is the biggest – knock against Shelly Duvall that you've ever said. Actually, it was the opposite of I forgot. not a knock against Shelly Duvall. I forgot you hate Shelly Duvall. My bad. <laughs> I forget. Hey, but what's her best movie? Suburban Commando. Ooh, Hulk Hogan, brother. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't disagree. I like this bench scene a lot, actually. Um, Carl Lumbly does a great job of being Dick Howard. He, he really, he gets the voice of Scott Maker others right. He gets the the body movements, all of it. He just embodies that character so well that I, man, it, it's almost like he was Scatman Carruthers. Like it took me a minute to kind of realize that was someone else. Uh, I think they did a great job, and I really like that scene on the bench. Like I said in our, you know, start here, I like the stuff that nods to the movie more than I do anything to do with the book. And I, I think a lot of people out there like it the other way around. But I, you know, just like self-serving nostalgia, I, I like all the shining nods. I really, really do. Um, you know, here's the thing with Andy. Uh, so I don't like this bouncing around. We go modern, we go old, we go modern, we go old. And I know that it's okay to tell a nonlinear story. I just would have preferred maybe things to progress linear because of how damn confusing this all ends up getting. Um, but the stuff with Andy in the movie theater, I, I think it's genuinely creepy. There's some creepy stuff here. Uh, and you know, kind of using her and getting uh, Rose the hat back in it. It's creepy. But I'm all, I'm already kind of at the point where I don't really care about this stuff. Like it, it you've taken me out of the overlook, which I was really into, and put me into this new modern stuff with like steam vampires and shit. Like I just, I don't know. It was kind of hard for me to really buy in. And I get the point of the shine and how it kind of, you know, some people have it. Some people, uh, I got all that. It just didn't grip me like I was hoping for. It's well shot and stuff. It just isn't for me. Then we get drunk in Danny Torrance. My man is out here pulling a mic settle from 2013, waking up next to somebody he didn't know in a bed with puke, hung over as hell, can't find his money, can't find his phone, can't find shit. That is so me from a decade ago. Just thought I'd throw that out there. Uh, how many, but I how, many ba- how many babies did you kill? Huh? How many babies did you kill? Like, did you, <laughs> I didn't did you kill, kill any babies. Kill, kill puke girls too? Like you just left them to die? <laughs> Great. Fantastic. Now we know Mike from 2013. Killing people. Ah, well, you know, you got to kill people sometime. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but you get this real, which, by the way, I've just, and Dustin's agree with me. This is answering questions that I wasn't asking for. Like, that's the bad part about a sequel and mo- definitely a prequel is this is given, like, I didn't care that Danny became a drunk. No offense. Like, it, it, that just, that story didn't really hit with me. And I know this was personal for Ewan McGregor, and that's fine. But, like, this is answering some questions that I just wasn't asking. And so to kind of see Danny Torrance turn out like that, I'm kind of like, eh, whatever. You get the tiny town stuff I think is pretty cool. I like the character of Billy, but we're already kind of in a point where I'm like, this is giving me story that I, and layers of stuff that I just was not asking for. It's a decent set of scenes, but I, 
I, I really like all the stuff that has to do with The Shining, the movie, and then the book stuff just kind of eh, loses me a little bit. So also another thing about Dan becoming an alcoholic is uh, that might be the most unbelievable thing about this movie is how he was apparently very dependent on alcohol and just moved to a new city and quit. Like he didn't struggle at all. He went to one fucking AA meeting. He's like, oh, I'm cured. Not alcoholic anymore. Anyway. My man. Um, so I really like the score at the beginning. Like it's a great callback to The Shining, and I love the uh, the opening to an overhead shot. Like that's a great nod to Kubrick. This movie does do a lot of good as far as you know, tip of the cap to its predecessor. Um, if you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Don't wander too far. Look, I know this is 1980, but you just let your kid wander out of sight at a campground like you're asking for it to get snatched up. And Rose the Hat, like uh, when the friends just come out of nowhere and surrounded, like that's creepy as shit. I thought that was really well done. I also like, um, you know, the nod to the 1931 uh, Frankenstein that we just covered, like the whole a monster luring her in at the, uh, with the flowers and everything at the water. That was kind of cool. Um, I love the title card and the opening credits. I think it's a great tribute again to the shining, the carpet designs and then the transition into the overlook. I thought that was, that was just great, great job. And I know Brian especially liked our look at the old naked lady there. Um, I don't like the casting for Wendy and Dan. I agree. I mean this with all due respect, but the lady that played Wendy is way too pretty to supposedly have been Shelly Duvall with all due respect. And like you said, Brian, it's just with all the technology available now, like a deep fake AI version that looked more like the original cast would have. That's what I want. Like that's, I know this was like four years ago now, so maybe they weren't as good as then. But I don't know if you guys have seen. I'm. I don't think you guys have seen the new uh, Air movie about Michael Jordan signing with Nike. They cast someone as Michael Jordan, but since Michael Jordan's so recognizable, you never see the guy's face. Do that. Shoot these right. characters from the back. You want to see the back of their head or something. Like it's just I don't know. I now the casting for Dick was good though, Pauls. I thought that you know, recasting <laughs> Scatman Carruthers, um that was that was great casting. Um with uh what was his name? What was his name? Carl Lumbly. Yep, I thought that he did a great job. He was very believable. Um I thought it was pretty badass of little Danny to just calmly go into the bathroom, face the old lady, shut the doors. Like he said, you're in my world now, Grandma. Check out the name tag. Like, that was awesome. <laughs> and then we're back to Rose the Hat and our new characters. But honestly, it's just too confusing for too long. Like, we're just jumping around. Like Nico said, time jumps are in insane. 
I feel like majority of the first half of this movie is just spent trying to figure out how all the story ties together. The storylines are just too busy. And that's where I think the uh, miniseries would have been more helpful because you could literally do it as chapters like it was a book. Uh, and then we meet even more new people at this birthday party, and we see the Abra's gifted. Yay, another layer, okay? Ogres like onions, and so is this movie. They have layers. And then we get Dan. He's moving into his new spot, and I'm thinking $368 a month rent. That's not too bad. That's a pretty good-looking. That's a pretty cool apartment, if we're being honest. Like, I like the layout of it. That was my biggest takeaway from this open set of scenes. <laughs> I paid $368 a month to live there. Uh, but then the whole initiation scene with Rose breathing uh, Violet into Andy's mouth. Oh, what are we doing? What is going on? Like, I'm just watching this, trying to figure out what the fuck is going on, what this has to do with the Overlook, when the fuck we stopped and got ice cream. It's, it's distracting. I can't keep focus of what's actually going on because we're on a scene, and I can't really look at this scene because I'm like, wait, how does it, what does this have to do with Dan? Last thing I took away, though, like, Billy's a good man. I just really like Billy's character. He, he took Dan in like that, looked out for him from the, from the beginning. Like, Billy's just a good man. We need more people like Billy in this world. But, I mean, the, the opening set of scenes here is well acted and everything. It's just such a clusterfuck as far as what's going on in, in storylines that I'm already I'm already a little bit on edge by this point in the movie. All right, we're at Alcoholics Anonymous now as Dan introduces himself as a newbie. The crowd cheers him on as we see the doctor and Dan chatting. Doctor rubs his wrist and shakes Dan's hand. Dan follows after him and tells him he left his watch in the bathroom worrying about a kid with Gaucher's disease. The doctor isn't shocked. He asks him how he knew the next day. Dan says, a lucky guess. He asks Dan if he goes to church or if he believes in anything bigger than him. John offers him an orderly job, three days a week. Andy wakes up on the beach surrounded by vehicles and campers. Rose tells her you did die, and she asks if she's still human. Dan is mopping up as a cat walks down a hallway. It goes into a room and Dan follows it inside. The old man speaks to Dan and says, the cat knows when it's time to go to sleep. I'm going to die. He says, knowing you're going to die doesn't make it less scary. He calls Dan, Dr. Sleep. He tells Dan he's exactly where he should be. I see my wife as he breathes out. Dan gets home and sees hello written on the blackboard on his wall. Dan writes back hi. Back to the AA meeting and Dan speaks about his dad. They clap for him as he says, this is for Jack Torrance. Dan is in Charlie's room and asks if he needs a pill. Charlie says he's scared. There's nothing after life. I can taste blueberries my mother used to grow. Dan tells him some of the events of Charlie's past as they now sing together. Dan writes more on the chalkboard as Abra gets out of bed for school. Crow joins Rose as she meditates. Crow says they need to open a canister. We need to eat all of us. Crow says he doesn't know what's going on. He's not picking up steam like he used to. The world's not as steamy. That night she opens a canister and they all begin to eat. We're in a dare Iowa now at a Little League baseball game. 19 hits the ball every time like he can read the pitcher's mind. Crow watches on in delight. We see the kid walking down the road as a van stops beside him. Barry tells him well played and asks if he'd like a ride home. They open the van up and Andy says they're friends and he trusts them and gets in the van. That night we're in a junkyard as they set the ritual up. They pull the boy out of the van and tie him down to the railroad spikes they've set up. He cries out to please let him go. That's, this is my favorite. This is the most captivating scene of the movie to me. Rose takes a knife and says, pain purifies steam and begins to stab him. They all begin to breathe in the steam. Abra tosses in bed, having a nightmare. She says, stop, monster, and Rose senses it. 
Abra lies back and screams as Bradley is killed. Her parents run in her room trying to comfort her. Dan falls to the floor and sees red rum in the mirror. Dan writes who, and it says baseball boy underneath. The crew looks refreshed after eating, and Rose stores some steam in a canister. Abra tells her parents they killed him, crying. They bury Bradley's body, and Rose tells Crow they had a looker, someone on the East Coast over 1,500 miles away. I haven't felt power like that in so long. Rose says she'll be ready next time. Dan writes on the board, hope you're okay, your friend Dan. Abra says she made a new friend Dan to her mom. Abra is in school now, and she listens to the voices in all the kids' minds. She finds an article on Bradley missing. She goes in her home and talks to Dad. She goes upstairs to do homework and stares at the picture of Bradley. She closes her eyes and sees him being killed in his abduction. She writes down the exact location of his death, Lamarck Industries. She wakes up suddenly and looks out the window. She begins to levitate now and is in a grocery store. We see Rose shopping, and she says, Hi there, as she touches Abra's head. Abra's power breaks the glass and shoots Rose down an aisle. Her nose bleeds, and we see Dan on the floor at the AA meeting. He was saying, please help me, Tony. Rose is back with the others and walks into the trailer. She tells Crow we have to have her. She's even bigger steam than we thought. They don't want anyone with that power in the knot. All right, Brian, that's the next city of scenes I got. What do you think? First of all, anybody who thinks the world is not as steamy obviously doesn't have Dustin as a friend. But, okay, so one thing that uh, I wanted <clears throat> to talk about in that last group, but I didn't get a chance to mention because I rambled too much, the relationship between Andy and Rose. In the book, Andy is much older, and she and Rose actually become lovers. Now, not to be pervy, but I like that angle better because, I mean, uh-huh, shit, Emily. I bet you do. See, I knew. I, I had to talk <laughs> fast because I knew your ass was going to say something. Uh, Emily's 20. So you could have easily had her play someone older than 15 for that angle. And I say that because I think it adds another layer to their characters that otherwise isn't there. Apparently, unlike Dustin, I'm a fan of the cold. So put more layers on my ass. Anyway, also, to kind of stay on the subject of the True Knots, I love their look. You know, according to IMDb, their costumes were designed with the idea that they picked up fashion from past centuries in which they lived. Terry Anderson and his crew They deserve the props for that. Anderson's no stranger to big movies, did costumes for Inception, Captain America, uh, Bad Boys 3. I I thought he did a really good job here. Um, Shout out also to one of my favorite actors, Bruce Greenwood, who plays Dr. Dalton, Captain Pike in Star Trek. I think he's just perfect for this role. And it's hard to explain, but he's almost like this calming presence and like a father type figure almost. Um, Also, really cool to see Dalton's office and how it looks pretty much exactly like the office Nicholson was interviewed in in the first one. Um, There was one great line from the set of scenes. We are all dying. The world is just one big hospice with fresh air. That meant that that was that was pretty powerful there. Um, Scene with the old man uh, for the first time, I thought was very touching. And the following scene and how it gives more insight into Jack and his struggle with alcoholism uh, as well. I think, you know, giving that from Danny's point of view, I thought was very powerful as well. Uh, a beautiful shot that stood out to me with Abra lying in bed and then getting up from, you know, like from school and then camera zooming in and focusing on her statue that was beside her bed. I thought it was a really cool shot with everything else blurred out. Um, but man, like Nico mentioned, you know, the death scene with Bradley, it bothered me a lot personally. Like it got to me. In no small part because of Jacob, Jacob Tremblay's performance. Uh, according to Flanagan, the performance of Jacob 
um, during that first take of his death scene was so intense that it surprised and scared the other actors, including Rebecca Ferguson, who said she was so horrified that she was stammering and couldn't get out her lines. Uh, when the scene was over, a grinning Tremblay jumped up, covered in fake blood, high-fived his father, and walked over to the craft service to get to get a snack. Uh, apparently, Ferguson and the rest of the cast were, quote, shell-shocked and traumatized. Same cast and crew, same. I was fucking felt the same way. Um, that's all I have for this set of scenes. I think it's rather unique um, that, you know, we're getting an hour into this movie and we're kind of starting to 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 just now follow Abra. Like, it's a shift in the main character, and I like that. It's something different. Also, yeah, we're an hour into this movie at this point, and if we were still watching The Shining, I'm confident Kubrick would still be showing the landscape and trees and the sky. Okay, we're cutting you off, pal. <laughs> we're cutting you off right there. One of the best fucking landscape shots of all time. You respect goat. Anyway. I'm just kidding, Brian. You're allowed to have your own opinion. This is America. Uh, all right. So again, I I I love the character of Billy. So I'm glad we get more of him here. And Danny going to AA is is kind of weird, but it almost in a it humanizes him quite a bit. And when I think of The Shining, you know him as a kid, it just kind of in my brain it takes me a minute to kind of oh yeah. You know, people do grow up. He's not this mythical being or whatever. He's just a normal person that got traumatized as a kid riding the fuck out of that big wheel. Um, <laughs> but uh, I like this scene, though. I think the AA stuff works. I know I kind of complained about him being a drunk. Almost wish we had just found Danny in AA, maybe not shown how much of a piece of shit he was beforehand. Uh, I'm sure that was real, you know, for people that wrote in and everything. But, um, again, I like the AA stuff. And I love the acting performances here. You mentioned Bruce Greenwood. Absolutely. One of my favorite character actors there is. He's really, really good in this little bit that we get. You get the, uh, the, the interview with him and it's like right, it's a scene that's ripped right out of the shining from Jack's interview, the pink walls, all that stuff. I thought that was uh, a really nice touch as well. And we do, so we meet Abra who, ah, okay. Great performance by Kylie Curran. Like, I thought she did a fantastic job for her age, carrying a giant load of this movie, just having to, you know, really up her performance because she's around a lot of great actors, uh, and, and other big important characters and she had to stand out. And I think she did a great job portraying the character. I just don't know if I'm really interested in the character. Like, I'm not really interested in the story with all these, like I said, steam vampires, the knots or whatever. Uh, it's it, it, it's just not interesting to me for some reason. I can't quite place my finger on why. Um, but again, good performance for sure. Now let's get to the de- <laughs> the, the the death scene with Bradley. You talked about Jacob Trimley. I was genuinely horrified. Like the first time I watched this movie, getting ready for this show, my wife was on the couch. She fell asleep. She just so happened to wake up as this scene was beginning. Imagine that. She was like, what the fuck are you watching? And I was like, well, I can't really help it. You woke up on like the most gruesome, terrifying part of this whole movie. It's it's outstanding acting work all around. Great scene. Probably the best scene in the movie as far as just acting and, and effects and everything else. I think it's really, really good. Um, and so, so I, yeah, so I think that's pretty much all I have. I just... This is starting to already drag. We're an hour in. You get the stuff in the grocery store. Sorry, last thing. You get, you get the stuff in the grocery store and the glass breaks, like Stone Cold Steve Austin's theme. And I thought that was a cool effect. 
But I what like again, like we're getting a little too like in the shining, there's some like silly shit, like ghosts, you know, the twins and stuff like that. But it feels more it feels less uh mystical. It feels let you know, like it's I know they're ghosts, but they feel more real. They don't have that like weird presence and we're getting all this glass shattering and, and everything else. And I don't know. It, it, it's just a story that I'm not super invested in. So I didn't quite buy that, that, that part in the grocery store. So that's all I had. Yeah. I, I love how Dr. John's office is the exact same office that Jack met, you know, when he went to Bingo. take the job in the, um, in the shining and the overlook there. That's, that's great. I mean, it's absolutely perfect. Uh, then the whole visual, of the soul leaving the body or whatever that was uh, of the old man. Like I could have just done without that. And I know it's a recurring theme. Like we can see, I guess it's not the souls to shine. We see their shine leaving or whatever, but I feel like this movie just takes the supernatural aspect and the hokiness up several notches compared to the shining. Now yes, I'm not, you, you know, who's to say that they may not have done that in the shining. If you know technology had been as advanced as it is now, who, who's to say that the special effects wouldn't have taken it up a notch too. But I don't like that's one of the big detractors for this movie. Like, I think it looks a lot more hokey uh, in that regard. I do like the character arc of Dan, though, like using his gift to help comfort old folks as they die. I think that's a nice touch. And then the communication between Aber and Dan is nice. It's like the torch is being uh, passed just like Dick did with him. The only thing that I don't like, though, this movie is called Dr. Sleep. That line is uttered one time. He helps approximately one person find their eternal sleep or whatever. I feel like that really could have been expanded upon. That's the name of the fucking movie. And so I think we needed that, you know, that miniseries or that, that extension. What? What? The Shining was called the fucking Shining, and they didn't even talk about the shine one fucking time in that movie, just about. Yeah, they did. Did they? I mean... I mean, besides Dick talking about it for five seconds, but they didn't really expand on that whatsoever. It was yeah, kind but, of left out. Okay, but this is a sequel to The Shining, and The Shine is very prominent in this movie. Dr. Sleep is just something that a crazy old fuck uttered when he was about to drift off into Deathland. So I feel like that could have been expanded upon. Maybe he helps more people find sleep, or he explains it more. It was just said in passing. And hey, the he, Shining, does it, he does in the 30 minutes extra in the director's cut. you got to watch it. I'm definitely not doing that, but <laughs> at least, okay. So, you know, if the shine or the shine, the shining wasn't mentioned in the, the first movie, at least we know that's what's going on. Like the shiny, the shine itself is like another character in that movie. This is just something I'm just, passing. I'm just point. arguing. I'm just arguing. I know you are. You asshole. Um, <laughs> and also as far as the, the, you know, the boy scout knots or whatever their tribal name is, their gang name, it seems so inefficient to store these, the shine in that kind of canister. Like when they open it, the fumes are escaping before anything's done. Like that's just, that's a poor choice. You're losing it. If it's that valuable, that really irritated me as well. Um, and then the baseball kid who just lets their kid walks, walk what seems miles away, miles home on a road surrounded by cornfields. That's like, giving away kittens to a cat lady. Of course a kidnapper is going to come by and strike eventually. That's way too long of a walk. I used to walk. I walked into town uh, one time over the summer when we lived in a you know smaller town in East Tennessee. I walked about four miles one day just to get a haircut. My mom was pissed at me. But it was in town. Like, I wasn't walking in a cornfield. I, I would have got kidnapped. It's just there's bad people. Um, 
And then there's you know, pe- Abra people took out this there kidnapping fucking, hard. fucking scarecrows she and took, everything else out there. Yeah, yeah, and we've seen what people do to scarecrows in fields. People <laughs> fucking them and everything. Um, and then you know when the baseball kids getting knived up or whatever the hell's happening to them, Abra took this one really hard, and that made me wonder: Did she not give a shit about the others, or was this the first one that she saw? And like, is she just coming into her powers? Like, I feel like that could have been expanded upon. Like, she seemed way too comfortable. Like, okay, I'm seeing these things. It's not like I would have liked to seen her questioning it. So I'm, I'm going to bring up a lot of Spider-Man movies. We just, we go from, oh, he gets bit and now he's Spider-Man. We don't see that transition. Spider-Man Homecoming, we got to see Peter Parker kind of be that awkward coming into his gifts and abilities and everything. This movie, we don't get that. Abra really learning what her shine is. It's just like she's at the birthday party and she can make all the spoons touch the ceiling and then she's full-fledged into the shine. I would have liked to see that, that little, that progression in her life because I need to know why she could see this death, this baseball player kid dying and why it affected her so much. But all the other kids that have been kidnapped and killed, including snake by Andy, she don't give a shit about them. So it's just, uh, it's an okay set of scenes that has some, cool stuff in it, but I feel like some of it needs to be expanded upon and for it to be an hour in, it's like, shit, we can't expand upon. This movie is dragging ass. All right, Abra is dropped off at school and now she gets off a bus in Dan's town. She walks over to the train and Dan hears her say hi in his mind. Dan and Abra walk off and sit on a bench. She introduces herself and says she'll call him Uncle Dan. They both have the shine. She asks how many of us are out there. She, sh- she shows him the baseball boy missing flyer. They ate his shine. She says she needs his glove and she can track the knot. Dan tells her to go home. Don't attract these people. He says sorry and walks away, and she's clearly disappointed. Dan is at orderly and walks in a room where Dick Halloran is. He asks what happens to them in those boxes. It's been eight years since he last saw him. He tells Dan if they found him as a kid, he'd be long dead. They found the little girl and they might kill her or turn her. He tells Dan to get her what she asked for. You still owe a debt. Pay it. Abra's mom goes in her room and asks if she's okay. Mom is leaving in the morning and asks Abra if Momo is going to pull through. She hopes so and tell her I love her. Rose meditates again on her trailer. She opens her eyes and she's flying above the clouds. She's walking in the streets now and stops at Abra's house. She floats up to the window and into the room. She looks at Abra tells her to keep sleeping. She sees all these like file drawers and looks through one. The lights turn on and her hand is slammed into the drawer. Abra walks towards her and Rose slaps at her. Abra looks through cards as Rose rips her hand out the drawer, tearing her skin. Rose is thrown out the room and is spinning through the air and lands on her trailer and falls to the ground. Little bitch set a trap for me, she says. Barry tells him Flick is cycling. Abra tells Dan she got in her head. Dan speaks to her in his mind. Andy says she thought they lived forever. Rose says they haven't been eating well for a long time. Flick says he's scared, and Rose speaks on all the things he got to do while alive. You're not scared. You're a king, and you eat fear. We see Flick begin to fade, die, and he vanishes. They all drink up his steam. At least they were fishing about his death. Dan is at Billy's room at 4 a.m. I need your help, and he has a story to tell him and try hard to believe. Abra speaks to Dan and asks how long he's been driving. Abra tells him Rose was scared. She describes the scenario. She asked what all those boxes were. It was a place, not a group of people that was after him. 
Crow tells Rose they, they're almost ready, and he doesn't think she should come with them. Dan and Billy stop at the ethanol plant, and Abra tells them where to stop. Billy is skeptical of everything. They park and begin to dig. Dan tells Abra to go home. Billy tells him the buck story, and the smell is the same as, the, as that dead deer. They continue digging until they see a shoe. They both retch when they reveal the boy's face. Dan tells Billy they aren't people who did that to him. Dan tells Abra to show her parents what happened. Dan says they got a stop to make and asks Billy if he's got them old deer rifles. Dan pulls into Abra's house driveway. Dad goes to attack Dan until Abra shows him flashbacks of Bradley's murder. We're inside the home now as Dad makes a drink. David asks if those people know about her daughter. Excuse me. Dan says they're not worried about the police. Abra sits down and touches the baseball glove. She sees Barry and the others. She's in the van with him traveling. I-95 and they're close. She didn't see Rose. Abra shows Dan her room and Dan says to let them catch you and do a little trick. All right, Brian, that's the next set of the scenes I got. What'd you think? If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place, and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So in the book, it's actually revealed that Dan Torrance is actually Abra's uncle. Uh, Jack Torrance supposedly had an affair with her grandmother. I'm glad that was left out of here. Sometimes I'm not a fan how they try to connect everyone and, and everything and so much damn stuff. I like it better the way this movie plays out. Another brilliant reason why I'm sure Flanagan added the line about how this day and age, it's weird, a middle-aged man and a girl on a park bench. And she said, if anyone asks her, my uncle. Nice little nod, but not making it exactly like the book. So I, I, I appreciated that at least. Um, also love the little Easter egg in the scene where as he jumps on the desk and he puts down that magazine he was reading, the same January 1978 issue of Playgirl magazine that Jack read in the lobby of the Overlook Hotel in the first one. Very nice touch. Super weird that either are reading Playgirl magazine, but nice nod anyway. And uh, – this uh, rose astral projecting through the air and into Abra's bedroom, man, that is such a beautiful shot to me. Zooming into her face, then again, you know, we are in a different place along with just everything involved with that whole entire scene and shot. Um, it was apparently the, the, the first of Flanagan's storyboarded sequences that he did completely, and post was even extended several months out just to get these visuals right. Um, just absolutely phenomenally done, in my opinion. Um, definitely something that CG had to catch up with to make look right and not cheesy for sure. Um, can you imagine that scene if even shot in the early 2000s? I mean, but yeah, just such a well-done sequence. Uh, Abra turning the tides on Rose, showing how powerful she was, and the effects on uh, on on the, the whole no-eyes thing 
was really good along with Rose being flung back into her body and off the trailer. Um, that overhead shot with the effects, I thought that was just perfect. Um, just another, I don't have a whole lot here, just another very powerful and emotional scene for me is them finding Bradley's body. Uh, you know, Billy explaining the hunting story sucked me into that scene without me even realizing it. You know, and knowing that they were going to find him, I still felt almost sick to my stomach when they did. And not many movies have done that. And the first time I watched this, I guess I didn't realize how encompassed into the story I was until this set of scene. I thought that was brilliant writing. Yeah, so to me, this set of scenes, just not to like go right at you there, Brian, but uh, this set of scenes just kind of drags the movie a little bit to me. Like I feel like as much as we complain about there not being enough backstory, I think that's only because they tried to shove a lot into a long movie. Uh, to me, we get a little, just too much stuff here. Like, I do like the fact that they don't actually connect Abra and Danny Torrance. Like, I think them just being, you know, linked together because of the shine was the way to go. Um, them meeting and, and Danny trying. So just them meeting here in, in this town, I think works really well. Him trying to kind of scare her off of this path. You kind of want to go through the TV like, man, quit being the, don't be a little bitch, Danny. You got to step up and 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 you know take these people on because of what happened. You both know what happened to this boy, and so I like their connection. I think them working together is is at least interesting enough to make me not want to turn the movie off. Uh, it's, again, not the best story, but it's better than what we got before it. Um, <laughs> hey, man, if you walk, if your daughter if your daughter walks up to your house with two grown ass men and you're the dad and you don't act like he did, I. I don't know what to tell you, man. That'd be a little weird for me too, obviously. I think that's a perfectly rational reaction. I'm glad they acted the scene that way. But having him see the death of the boy, I think it's very powerful and it makes a lot of sense. And I do like the little bit that he starts to make a drink, ask him for one, and they say no thanks. And I thought that was a nice callback to why Dan and Billy are even here together in the first place. Um, Then there's just a lot of... It, 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 there's a lot of like weird special effects stuff here that kind of draws me out of it. Um, it. Again, I'm fine with the fantastical, but this just kind of turns up as the, as Dustin said, the hokey notch, just a smidge like, and it doesn't, it's not that it looks bad, you know, the floating stuff, the, you know, everybody's body moving and stuff. Like I like, I like the idea of it, but once it's put on my screen, I'm just, I don't know. Like I'm not a big fan of it. I think it kind of draws me out of, the story that I'm into, which is the real, the more realistic stuff. I know that sounds silly. But the more realistic stuff that we get, we're talking about sequel stuff to the movie. Um, so then they kind of go on the manhunt and everything, and it, it's fine. It, it's just for me a set of scenes that I feel really drags the movie out. I think the next two are fine, but I think this one just kind of bloats the runtime, in my opinion. Yeah. Um- so I really like Abra's shiny moment when she saw the baseball player's death and jotted the notes down and whatnot. Like I thought that was awesome. That was cool. Um, and her teleportation to the grocery store was also pretty cool. And it did a great job of showing off how strong her gift is. But like I said, I just will, I wish I, we would have got that more, that more of a peek behind the curtain of like how she's come into her gift. Um, that, that struggles. Cause even, even Dan had that as a kid. He thought it was his imaginary friend. Um, and then the interaction between Dan and Abra was great, but the interaction with Dick and Dan was even better. 
Like I really loved how they interacted and the intertwining of the two movies into that conversation. I thought that was fantastic. One of my favorite parts of the movie, honestly. Uh, and then, oh boy, Rose the Hat's little flying scene, however, that was like watching an episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark or Goosebumps. Like it just seemed like a TV show quality scene for some reason, especially when she went into the window. I thought those effects looked awful. Just looked so bad. Um, then Abra's look when Rose's hand is stuck in the drawer. Um, I, I thought that was, I thought it just looked bad. Just looked back like the way the Abra looked. It just looked like they didn't have much budget to spend on those effects. But I did like the way uh, Rose's hand looked. Her hand itself looked good. Like the, the gore there was pretty, pretty well done. Um, why did Dan talk in his outside voice when he told Abra to go home? Like he could have used the the shine to tell her that, so that Billy wouldn't have heard. Like it, it's just much more likely that a person would have done that. Like if they can communicate without speaking out loud, he probably would have done that because, you know, I get that he's not hiding the shine from Billy, but Billy doesn't see Abra, so he doesn't really know what the fuck going on. Like you just you're looking real crazy right now, and so I, I would think that he would want to kind of look more as sane as possible there. Um, and last thing that I, I put is this is also one of the most unbelievable things of this whole movie is they just dug up a kid's body and didn't call the cops. They just left that shit. Like we didn't see that at all. Like they just dug up his body, got what they need. They got the baseball glove and they're like, all right, fuck it. I'm out of here. Seems a little unlikely. Maybe they would have called the cops. Also, they may have called the cops before they even got there because now their evidence is all over this body. Like they dug this shit up. Their fingerprints are going to be there. So kind of put them, uh, them in the, um, suspect folder um is an okay set of scenes i agree though it drags on and i'll be honest with you man i'm still at this point just like i get it i get what's going on now i've I've caught up on how this all intertwines and everything but we've spent so much time to get here i'm not sure that i'm even invested i just want to kind of let's wrap this up all right dan billy and Aver drive into the woods rose begins to meditate again we see that Knott's vehicles arrive in the woods Abra is meditating on a table and they all approach her. Andy has a syringe walking to her and, dis- and sedates her. She thinks it's really easy. She sticks her neck and she sees a stuffed bunny, though. They open fire on them now and they begin to flee. The knots are all slaughtered, except Andy, who makes it back in the trailer. Dan goes to shoot her, but is out of bullets. Andy puts Dan to sleep and Abra tries to wake him up. She has the gun and goes to shoot, but Billy shoots her in the neck, killing her. She tells Billy to kill himself and he blows his brains out with a rifle. I thought that was a cool kill. Abra tells Dan one is missing. Where's the crow? Crow is in Abra's, ho- in Abra's home and sedates her. He carries her out the house. She wakes up in the back of the van. The steam in her is fast asleep. She asks about her dad. Crow killed him. He says she brought this all on them. Dan sees Abra's dead dad on the floor. Dan is back in his room and calls out for Abra. No answer, so he calls out for Tony. He goes to take a drink but does it and throws the bottle on the ground. He closes his eyes and hears voices. He hears Abra now, and he slides down his floor. He's in the van now, and she tells him she was drugged. The two touch hands, and we see Abra sit up. She asks where they're going, and she feels hungover. She says she hasn't felt hungover in years, and he looks at her crazy. She says he's the guy who killed her friends. Abra uses her powers to crash the van into a tree. Abra calls for Dan as we see Crow on the ground, writhing in pain, dying. Abra walks down the dark road alone until she sees Rose in the middle of the street. She calls her a little bitch and asks what she's done as Abra walks right past her. 
Rose breathes in all of the canisters. Dan is at a motel and reunited with Abra. They're heading to Colorado. He doesn't think they can beat her on their own. He says this place has to be dangerous for people like her too, maybe even more. Abra's mom calls and she's in a panic. Abra tells her, I love you, and hangs up. When we're safe, you call her, Dan. She throws the phone out the window. They head up the mountain as the Shining theme plays again. Dan wants her to wait in the car until Rose shows up. He has to go in alone to wake the place up. He enters the overlook. Wakey, wakey. The lights all turn on as he enters the different rooms. Dan turns on different machinery and walks the halls of the hotel. He gets to the door where Jack chopped through with the axe. He sees red rum on the bathroom door. Dan goes into the bar and chats with the bartender. He pours Dan a glass of whiskey on the house. Lloyd tells him business will pick up soon. Dan says they moved to Florida to never see snow again. I was 20 when she died. I would see black flies when people were going to die. I tried to comfort her, but I couldn't. Lloyd pushes the whiskey closer to Dan. Lloyd drinks the whiskey, calling it the eraser. He says, family, eat your time on earth as he pours more whiskey for Dan, calling it the medicine. Are you going to take your medicine? He pushes the glass as Abra tells him she's here. Next set of scenes are the ending. Brian, what'd you think? Um, so this set of scenes in the woods, I know almost could be an ending. And I think that the first time I watched this, I said the same thing, but it's so good to me. Like it's almost that quote first battle where both sides do shit unexpected. And then the other side wasn't prepared for, and then both really suffer big losses. Um, I, I mean, I was, I was, uh, I loved it. I liked it a lot. And yeah, I would have liked to have seen, you know, Obi-Wan use a lightsaber, but goddamn, Dan and Billy were, were, as they say in Back to the Future Part 2, crack shots. And I'll just say there was so much nerd shit in that last sentence. If you didn't catch that, Nico, sorry. But for real, they were like, they were like five of five and on shots. But the tension as Andy told Billy to shoot himself, I was right on the edge of my seat and felt some type of way when he did. And you know, right after finding Abra's dad, I thought McGregor's performance was so damn good between fighting with taking a drink and struggling with just all the loss that he just, just, just went through amazing performance and just sheer command of the screen. I thought from McGregor and yeah, I don't have a ton of the set of scenes, but so much happened here. And what I was trying to say a minute ago, I was encompassed in this movie by now that my emotions were, were in such a roller coaster ride and I and I hated these true knots, which is a, a testament to the writing of the characters being so strong to make me feel that, in my opinion. Now, again, the recasting with Jack, eh. I mean, give me what we got with Harold Ramis in Ghostbusters 3. But anyway, again, rights and all that. And I didn't know what Mike said earlier about them thinking, you know, thinking about Nicholson being deep faked in there. And, yeah, I can see the thought of, of do it all or don't. But Nicholson being deep faked right there. And it looking good, I mean, it would have made me forget about that whole first scene with with the, the recasted actors. I mean, I thought that would have been great. And first of all, that's E.T.'s Henry Thomas playing Jack right there. And hey, props for, for channeling your inner Nicholson, Henry. I mean, you impressed the hell out of me. But, I mean, not just Henry. Ewan, I thought, was so damn good telling that story about him and his mom. Uh, just that whole bartender scene I thought was very powerful. Now, I'll get to my feelings on the return to the overlook more in the next set of scenes, but for now that's all I had. Yeah, so I'm glad I'm glad that this set of scenes exists because we get rid of the true knots, in my opinion. <laughs> like, and they, man, do they ever get fucking rid of them? You know, you 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 mentioned them being crack shots, man. They take them out with some fucking precision. It it, it, it 
bam, 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 they're all gone just like that, except for, you know, Andy and uh, the the guy with the goofy name who's slipping me right now. But, I mean, they take them all out with with being, you know, ace, you know, ace shots. You know, that kind of shocked me a little bit, a little unrealistic. But, again, so what? Like, it was really cool, and I and I liked that scene in the woods, and I loved the scene where Andy makes Billy kill himself. Go ahead. I will say the unbeing realistic apart, but he did mention hunting earlier. Yeah. And so, I mean, you know, that that kind of, to me, made me believe it a little bit more because it called back to that. Okay. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. Yep, that's on my mind. So you're right. Okay. I like the scene where Andy makes Billy kill himself. Like, that is the most, one of the more tense scenes in the entire movie. Uh, I think it's well done. You know, Nico mentioned it being a cool kill. I agree with him. Uh, very cool kill, unique kill. With I did not expect Billy dying in this whole movie. This kind of felt like a movie where all the good guys would end up winning, but you get the death of him there, and I think that you know added stakes and added weight to the situation. Both people or both sides lost very important people to their team. I like the scene in the car with Abra. I think you know Dan kind of channeling her. You know the guy that killed your friends and making the car crash. All that stuff I think is probably the best stuff we get with this group of, of, of cast members, as far as just the story to me, again, I mentioned it bloating the runtime and kind of dragging out. This is probably the best stuff that they do to me. It, 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 it kind of adds like a hell yeah, you know, to, to our, our two main characters of Dan and Abra. I think this, I wish that we could have gotten this sooner in a, in a shorter movie, uh, but I, I really like that scene in the car. I think it works really well. Um, I love going back to the Overlook. I talked about it when we already got to see it, but now we get to see a, like a, a more worn down, more decrepit Overlook in certain areas. You know, you get the, you know, the, the door with red rum on it. Uh, it has the ax marks or, you know, the, uh, you know, the chopped down wood still there. So good callbacks. I think it looks phenomenal. I love it. I love being back in this setting because it's been so damn long. We've only gotten one movie in this setting. So to be able to go back to it, whether I wanted a sequel to that movie or not is almost irrelevant. It's cool to kind of put myself back in the overlook, especially all these years later. Um, as a, you know, it, it's, it's breathing new life. The, the overlook hotel is almost a character in and of itself. So I like that. I'm with you here, Brian. I love this bartender scene. I absolutely think it's great. Visually, it's great. The bar, you know, the bar looks like it did, you know, 39 years ago. Looks fucking awesome. And I actually think. I have no problem not recasting Jack Nicholson. They thought about doing it, but they they knew they couldn't approach Nicholson to do it because he's a retired actor and he's pretty much said I'm not like I'm not doing anymore. Like he's not doing more movies. He's not doing anything. He's been retired since 2010, according to Dead Meat, which I did not know that. Uh, as far as just like having any kind of big role in any film, he's been retired for quite a long time. At that point, it would have been nine years. So, um, kind of tossed. Jack aside, toss a deep fake out. Man, I think he does a great job here. It, it it really does feel like Jack Torrance. And I can believe it because we've recasted everything else. We've already done the recastings in the beginning. So I knew I wasn't going to get Jack Nicholson here, and I'm okay with that. Uh, I think it's a great job. I love the telling of the story with him and his mom as well. So all in all, this is probably starting of the my favorite parts of the movie where we get to go back to the overlook we've gotten rid of some of the stuff i didn't particularly find all that interesting and now we're at back at the scene of the shining and i'm nostalgic 
for that. So I appreciate it. Love the old school like shootout that we get. We don't get enough of those in movies. Like just dudes hiding behind trees, blasting each other. Love that shit. But it There's did lead to my fellow Western to... lover. What do you say? There's my fellow Western lover right there. Hell yeah, man. Love that shit. Um, but it did lead to Billy's demise. He didn't deserve that. So I, you know, I hate that part of it. But speaking of not deserving it, Abra's dad, damn, like, fuck me, I guess. Like, he didn't, he didn't want any of this shit. He wanted to protect his daughter from this. He just wanted to be daughter and now he, he woke up dead. Um, <laughs> I like the scene. I like the scene in the van with the, uh, with the crow and Abra and Dan taking control. That was awesome. Um, but I do think the effects on the crow's dying body look bad. I mean, they all do, but he has really looked terrible. Like when he just kind of deteriorated and shrunk into nothing. I thought it looked so bad. Um, then when Dan goes to meet Abra at a motel and hugs her, like I'm waiting for Chris Hansen to walk around and be like, Hey, won't you have a seat? That was a little, you can't just go meet a little girl at a motel and give her a hug. And, you know, as a grown man like that, I get it. It's your quote unquote uncle, but that was a little sus. Uh, and you know, I look, I love the score when they're heading back to the overlook. Hell yeah. And the cinematography, like it was just, it was a perfect nod to Kubrick there. So I know Brian really appreciated that. Uh, and then this movie, Nico and I mentioned this, or he you said this to me, you said that this doesn't really feel like a horror movie for the most part. Like it doesn't have that tension, I guess, but you want to talk about a well-placed jump scare. Like when the lights were coming on, I thought that was well placed. It was eerie as is with him walking through the hotel, but honestly, it just needed more attention because I'm just taking a stroll down memory lane here, and I, I'm I'm having too good of a time. I need to be a little bit un, uneasy, and so that jump scare did a good job there. It was really cool to see the overlook and get a, a look at so many familiar sightings from the first movie. I mean, it was just an absolute perfect replica. So shout out to them, um, and then Dan at the bar. That was a great scene. Really cool parallels between him and Jack uh, 40 years prior and with Jack actually being the bartender. Uh, probably my favorite, my single favorite part of this movie. And this is kind of what I was talking about earlier. So they didn't show us a straight-on look at Jack. So we couldn't really tell that that's not uh, Nicholson. But we know it's not. Um, but they could have done that earlier when they're showing us little Danny and uh, Wendy just don't give us straight on looks like fake us out, protect us, shield us from it as much as you can. This is how you do it. So he got it right here. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm more invested in the movie now than I had been going up, but I'm trying to ask myself as I'm watching it, am I only as invested in it because, okay, we're back to the overlook and I know shit's about to, you know, get turned up to 10 or am I invested because the story's actually got me? I don't think that's the case. So they've got me hooked, but it's for the wrong reasons up here. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, guys, here's the ending. Abra exits the car and Dan runs to her. They both enter the overlook. Abra says this place is cancer, but worse. Dan stops when she, when he sees an axe. Rose enters the hotel. She sees the blood coming from the elevator and smiles. She enters the room where Jack wrote. They tell her to be afraid. She doesn't know where she's standing. He tells Abra to go, and their eyes change. Rose is in the snow maze now. She begins to chase after footprints in the snow. Abra tells her she's going to die here. She runs past her, cutting her leg repeatedly. Rose grabs Abra by the throat, now calling her defiant like she was. They both snap out of it, and Rose follows Dan up the stairs. She can't believe they missed on him. She tries to make him an offer. Eat well, live long. He calls her lonely since she's the last one. She gets hit with the axe in the shoulder, but she gets it from him, knocking him down the steps. She bashes him in the face and starts to choke him. She inhales some of his steam as he screams in pain. We see flashbacks from young Danny running through the hotel. She says he's not alone in there. All the boxes open and the people from Overlook's past attack Rose and inhale her steam, killing her. They now all attack Danny. Come play with us, Danny, forever and ever. Ever sees the Grady twins and now Dan walking towards her with the axe. She takes off running and sees the bloody butler at the end of the hall. She goes in room 237 and we see the leper lady in the bathtub. Dan walks in the room saying she's been very bad. She calls him the hotel, not Uncle Dan. He goes to chop her, and she removes his hands off the axe. Dan is back to normal. He says where he's supposed to be. He tells her to run as the evil takes back over. Dan fights it off as much as he can and goes to the boiler room. Abra makes it outside, and the boiler room ignites. Wendy appears in front of him, comforting him, caressing his face. He smiles as the place begins to burn down. We see the police showing up now as Abra tells her Uncle Dan she knew he was okay. She asks if he believes Rose that she wasn't the last one. Dan says he was wrong. Shine on, Abra. Knock at the door. It's Mom, and she asks who she was talking to. Abra confesses that she was talking to Dan. We go on after, and he's okay. So is Daddy. Mom walks away, and Abra walks into the bathroom. We see the leper lady in the tub, and Abra closes the door as the film ends. All right, Brian, what would you think about the ending? First off, I loved it. So I, I love the return to the Overlook. And it's kind of funny you guys mentioned liking that because it's caught hell online with people not liking it, calling it fan service. And yeah, you know, this is a departure from the book because, you know, in the first book, the Overlook burned down. But to me, that's the biggest part that ties it to the original. And okay, yeah, you can call it fan service. That's fair. Just finished watching Picard season three and Scream six and people bitch about that being fan service. So fuck off. I'm here for it. Take that uh, fan service and slap it all over my face. Pause. But uh, back to what I was saying before, the ending of Stephen King shining had the destruction of the overlook uh, by the boiler exploding. So Flanagan took that and, you know, that false face dialogue that was between Abra and Dan. It's taken straight from the equivalent conversation between Danny and Jack in the novel in the first one. So yeah, in a sense, you know, this was the original ending to the shining. And I think it's brilliant work by Flanagan who, yeah, I know mentioned him directing, but I don't think we mentioned that he wrote the screenplay by himself. But yeah, it's it's brilliant to close that loop. And again, just 
gives so much explanation and even closure for Danny's character that I didn't think I needed until now. Um, I love everything about this ending. I love the return to the maze, the old spirits, the way it's used as a weapon, uh, the way Obi-Wan had the high ground. And you know what? Anakin could have taken some notes from Rose because that's how you handle the high ground, Anakin Skywalker. But by the way that it's explained, it's perfect to me. Not having the throwback to, to Mike's favorite scene in the first movie you know, that was unexplained with the bear and the one dude. Uh, they should have had that in there, too. <laughs> but very cool visuals, uh, watching the hotel be purified in the waters of Lake Minnetonka. The whole thing, just just chef's kiss. I loved it. I don't know. My favorite scene in this movie is what's-her-name-in-the-bath. Oh, sorry, my bad. Anyway, yeah, so I, I love – what? What happened? What did I say? I love this ending. I love the fan service. Give me all the fan service. Uh, because I think it ties it back so much to a movie that I love, uh, and, and, and the setting that I love. I mentioned it in the previous set of scenes. I love being back at the Overlook and this, you know, even adding, you know, new elements like Rose, the hat and everything. Like, I think it works really well. Um, and, and again, once we're done with the bartender scene and we kind of move on and we get Rose in this battle and, and he's unlocking the boxes, like, all of that, at least it finally tied into something, because otherwise I would have been a little pissed off that we even had to spend time with Danny locking these ghosts in boxes. Now it all kind of makes sense. I will say, I would have preferred a much better death for Rose the Hat. Like I something a little more gory, a little bit more creative, I guess. But I because she's such an evil villain, I think she deserved a very evil death. Uh, we don't get that. So I, you know, small criticism there, but when they flip it and, and Danny is coming after Abra, like, you know, Jack did show Duvall all those years ago. I think it's so good. It's so perfect. Um, you know, I think Ewan McGregor does a really good job of, of kind of flipping his character. He's been this really nice, almost downtrodden guy, the whole movie. And now he's like channeling Jack Torrance. And I think it works so, 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 so well. Uh, and like you mentioned, it's kind of the flip of the ending of the original Shining book. So there's some nods to both in here. So everybody talks about fan service. Yeah, there's fan service to the book as well. So I don't really see the issue here. I, I love the maze shots. I love that we get blood elevator shots. Like, I, I just love the fact that we're back in this setup. I really do. Now, again, I know I kind of criticized the movie for being made in general because wasn't asking for a sequel, but that doesn't mean I can't take away stuff that I like. And this ending, I do think, is probably my favorite part of the whole movie. The last two, the the last set of scenes and a half are my favorite part of the entire movie. Just going back, being in this, you know, this 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 area really, really does it for me. So, job well done on the ending, and I, and I was a big fan of this part of the film. So, sorry, Ed, was muted. I love um, really cool to see the blood elevators here again. I mean, I, I thought that was really well done, especially knowing how much of a pain that shot was in the, in nineteen eighties. Also, kind of like disrespectful because they, I'm sure they just did it with ease visually. Um, and then it's really cool to see the room where Jack lost his mind and the typewriter sitting, you know, sitting on the table and the stairs. I love the callback with the axe too. All that's great. Uh, and then I thought they did a really good job of incorporating the maze. Um, but then, okay, I'll say it. What the fuck? He just opens the boxes and all the antagonists from the first movie are just set free and they kill Rose and that's it. Like, I just, 
it wasn't even clearly explained like how he was just able to put them in this box to begin with. He just that's it, and they're done. They they're they're trapped until he sets them free, and then I don't know. It just it didn't feel right to me. The ending just feels like a clusterfuck. They they jammed all the shiny nostalgia into it, but it was very poorly explained as to what exactly was happening. It just wasn't clear cut. And then Dan sacrificed himself. Like, couldn't there have been another way? He had to be inside the hotel and, and burn it down. And also, it just makes me realize that I liked, like I said in the last set of scenes, I like all this Overlook stuff, and I like all this nods, all these nods to The Shining. But was it even necessary to go back to the Overlook? I mean, we're halfway across the fucking country here, and you could have done this anywhere. You don't need, you know, I don't know. It just it's like he was writing a writing a good book and then just kind of had a stroke and here's what we landed on. Don't like the ending at all. Which is fitting because uh, I don't like the movie either. <laughs> I, I'll say this, Dustin. I think if you're going to make a movie as a sequel to The Shining, even though they didn't market it as such, if you make that movie, you have to go back to The Overlook almost just because of the fan service that Brian talked about. Like, if you don't, I'd like it. If you don't, you make people mad. If you do, you make people mad. So... If you're going to go out, which, by the way, that's kind of my argument for not making the movie. But if, you, if you're going to make the movie, I think you kind of have no choice. I don't know. I mean, this movie is not about the Overlook, though. This movie is about No, I Dane. get it. Yeah. So, yeah, fair. Yeah. All right, guys. And with final thoughts, we just jump into social media. Let's do Twitter first. Randy Smith commented, excited to hear y'all's take on a very worthy sequel to a great classic, even though I would rather have heard the review of From Hell. You know, low-key, I was kind of wishing Dr. Sleep or From Hell would win. I haven't seen either of them, but I'm a big Johnny Depp fan. So I hope you do pick that one soon, Brian. Just throwing that out there. Uh, teammate of the show, Kevin Scanlon, commented, great sequel to The Shining. It's Mike Flanagan just doing Mike Flanagan things and proving he's a top name in the horror genre. Love this movie. Great pick. I do think Mike Flanagan is at the top of the horror genre right now. He's definitely up there, one of the top three for me. Uh, Ian Van Gool commented, this movie does a great job of being a faithful adaptation to Stephen King's Dr. Sleep novel while also being a great sequel to Kubrick's movie. It's not perfect, but overall it's much better than I ever expected it to be. That's fair. I'll be, I'm just going to throw this disclaimer out there. I didn't, I didn't read the book, so I don't know shit about it. All right, let's jump over to Instagram. We don't have anything on Facebook. Real Matt Sears commented, good film. I like how they made it a sequel to both the book and the first movie. Nice touch. Okay. Jay Hambrick 88 commented, I love anything – was it Ewan McGregor is in the movie felt really long to me. And I love watching long movies. I think that's my biggest issue is too. The movie feels too long. Uh, Matt Strickland commented another one on my watch list that I still haven't seen yet. I was curious how it might go in relation to the original with Danny, Danny being all grown up. Will we get a completely silent scene with nobody physically speaking, but actually shining with each other before Dick got whacked in the first one. That was a neat concept review away. Fellas looking forward to it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> dude that first shiny episode is so great to me i just i, I love ha- i love how the fans like pick this shit up like and remember this stuff. that was episode 32 and we're still talking about dick getting whacked dude dude it was iconic maybe yeah, that, that was one of my that was one of my first episodes i think yeah it was it, it's yeah and again i'm a peek behind the curtain i am sick as a dog right now recording this episode and i was sick as a dog recording that episode something about these fucking shining movies man <laughs> Maybe right, y'all shine. You, shine through your, you shine through your bubble guts <laughs> you damn right so, yes you're right you're absolutely right that's all I got 
All right, y'all bear with me. Uh, big fan of the show, Black Hanso, left a pretty long comment, so just bear with me. First, let me preface that I fucking hate The Shining. I think it's overrated, and I hate that people say it's the best horror movie of all time. <laughs> yeah, sorry, just had to get that in there. <laughs> <laughs> I think parts of it are very creepy, effective, and influential, but as a whole, it's trash to me. Hell, Stephen King doesn't even like it. But I digress. I'm here to talk about Doc Slumber. I really dug Dr. Sleep. It was really dark, especially with the subject matter and the uncomfortable pedo-like scenes with the villain's interaction with kids. As a parent of three boys, that baseball kid scene was heartbreaking to watch, especially since it's one of the kids from one of my favorite comedies of the last decade, Good Boys, which was super bad for middle schoolers. I'm also a fan of flawed main characters and Danny Teeters that line, but you still feel sympathy for him. His character really mirrors Obi-Wan in the Disney Plus series where he's jaded and haunted by his grim past. I'm also a fan of horror movies where characters have superpowers in the same vein of movies like Insidious, The Sixth Sense, and to a certain extent, Wes Craven's Shocker. The latter movie is a little more bonkers than the first two I mentioned, but I think you get the gist. One of my favorite scenes of the film is when kid Obi-Wan embraces his power and faces that naked bathing lady. I love the shot down the hallway of him walking towards the bathroom towards something he was terrified of for years and just goes in and closes the door. Like, let's go, you prune bitch. <laughs> Prune, uh, pure cinema also this film kind of made me want a similar sequel to the sixth sense where we follow an adult cole who uses his powers to solve cases similar similar to how he did in the movie with the girl whose mom was poisoning her i don't know i could be reaching but i think that would be dope it wouldn't necessarily have to be as dark as doc sleep but similar to the scene where obi-wan helps the old guy pass over to a force ghost in the hospital it seems like that that showed the kind of bright side of having these tragic powers. Anyways, I've babbled long enough. Can't wait to see what you guys think of the film. Stay gory, friends. Then he asked, are you watching the director's cut or the theatrical? I bought it on Vudu, and it was two and a half hours, so whatever that one was. <laughs> theatrical. Hey, spitting facts, Han Solo. Spitting facts. Uh, That's all we got for social media comments and questions. Uh, if y'all got any fun facts, Brian, Dustin, y'all go ahead, brother. I only have one, so and it, it basically it. could have been. Dustin should have taken it because it goes right along with what he's his known for here. But we we have uh, we almost had a sequel following uh, Dick as a prequel before he got whacked. God no, damn it, no. Yeah, I don't know. Pre whacked Dick is to be interesting sometimes. <laughs> so, oh, I got a couple here. Uh, Don St- Dan Stevens, Chris Evans, Matt Smith, and Jeremy Renner were all considered and met with the director for the lead role. Ewan McGregor ended up being cast with Stephen King's blessing. You know, uh, Chris Evans, Jeremy Renner, man, it's like I don't know. That, that's weird for me. I'm sure for Brian too. Could you imagine Hawkeye or Captain America as fucking Dan Torrance? I don't know. That's weird. Uh, I think this is the, the movie, right choice. Yeah, in the movie, Andy is much older. And she and Rose are lovers. Flanagan made Annie a teenager, removed the romantic relationship, favoring a mentor-pupil dynamic that mirrors Dan and Abra. So that would have been strange, too. That's okay. The, okay. This movie, uh, the budget is disputed, but it's made for anywhere between 45 and $55 million and only grossed $72.3 million at the box office. I say only because it's a pretty bloated budget, and you would expect even though horror is kind of niche, uh, you would expect a sequel to a movie that people, most people consider to be a classic to make a lot more money. And it, it, it didn't, I, I think that had a lot to do with the marketing advertising, which I talked 
about at the top. I mean, it's a pretty great cast, you know, well-known people. And, and for whatever reason, not a lot of people came out to see it. It's gotten its love on DVD and, and, and streaming platforms. That's really where a lot of people finally saw it. So, uh, I don't know if it was like 2019, maybe right before the world stopped or whatever, but still, I do think that, that, uh, they could have done a better job marketing it as a sequel to The Shining. Even though some of the posters had little Danny on it and stuff, I just don't feel like the trailers and all that did enough to kind of get the point across. All right, guys, we're done with fun facts. Y'all ready to jump into favorite kill, least favorite kill in the rating? Brian's smiling. I don't know what that was for. But all right, I'll go first since I'm up first. Uh, that was fucking stupid to say. Favorite kill was... <laughs> I'll go first since I'm up first. And then you hey, Mike, first, you go... you're last, Nico. Mike, you go second because you're second. Then I'll go third because I'm third. <laughs> and then, I don't know, maybe last will be Brian because he's last. Damn, you dumbass. I deserve that one. I deserve it. All right, my favorite kill, and this is going to sound, you know, pretty awful, but favorite kill is Bradley just because the scene was so good. It was the only scene really in the movie that just, like, made my stomach twist, and it was the kid acted his butt off, man. God, it was a, it was a great scene. It was It's my favorite scene of the movie. Least favorite kill? Hey, I, who do you pick? One of the old people dying in the, in the orderly? Uh, I didn't really like Flick just disappearing. I just, I don't know. I kind of just really didn't, I didn't know enough about the knots to even care, really. So, and I just didn't understand it, really. So, you had all them canisters and you just let the dude die. And that didn't make sense to me. All right. Uh, rating, I've kind of went over it. Just, I think it was well made. Mike Flanagan is a legend in the making. Uh, well acted. I just didn't get sucked into the movie like The Shining. And it's not fair because it's a different movie, but, when you make a sequel 39 years later, I feel like comparing it to the original is justified. I agree with you 100%, Dustin. I don't feel like they explain the doctor's sleep part enough. They kind of just put a couple scenes in where he's at the orderly and this old guy says he's Dr. Sleep. I feel like if you broke yeah. this down into, like you mentioned earlier, a miniseries, do it chapter by chapter, explain everything that's going on, it would be a lot better. Uh, they could have cut all that Dr. Sleep stuff out. And I know you brought up the the shine part, but it referenced the shine in the original a lot in the movie with Danny in the mirror by himself, seeing these flashbacks and all that. I just felt like the shine we understood more. I really didn't understand the Dr. Sleep part any of it, but you know, I'm just a regular guy. Uh, great performances from everybody, but just nothing that sucked me in like Jack Nicholson. It's one of, if not the best performance in horror to me personally. I mean, even if you don't like the movie, I don't think you can deny how good he was. Uh, and then when you get to the end where they're back in the overlook, how do I really feel about it? I don't know, honestly. A part of me wishes, I hate to say it, that I was just re-watching The Shining at that point. I would rather just see Jack and Wendy's stare scene. I would rather see, I would. I, at that point, I really wish I was just watching The Shining again. I think this movie is well-made. It's good <laughs> to you know people who wanted it, but it just didn't interest me enough. I gave it a five and a quarter, slightly above average. Just mostly from enjoyability. Okay. My my favorite kill is kind of a tie for different reasons. I went with Bradley for the same reasons you did, Nico. But also tie with Billy because I think it was a really cool visual. And I think him making him, you know, mind controlling and doing it himself, I think, was a really nice touch. So I like that as well. My least favorite is Rose the Hat 
I, I wanted a better, like I wanted a cooler, more gruesome death for her. Like I didn't want her to get basically eaten by a bunch of ghosts. Like I feel like there was just a better death that there on screen that we could have gotten that would have been like justice served for all her evilness. But um, that's why it's my least favorite. Uh, I, I won't say that I'm glad this movie was made, but I do think, you know, we, we you know, we, we talked about this all the time where like sometimes too long goes by where I don't need a sequel to it. Like if you make it and it's three or four years down the road, fine. But if you get to 39 years and you're trying to serve all these different masters, like I said, the book is very recent. So you're covering something that Stephen King kind of just wrote. And then, so you're trying to serve that master. You're trying to serve the, the, the shining, the book. You're trying to make a sequel to the movie, trying to cover the source material for Dr. Sleep. There's so much going on in this movie. And I do feel, even though I thought this runtime was bloated, a series would have maybe worked better for it and got my interest more. But um, look, the acting performances are fantastic all around. Like, I don't think there's a bad performance in this movie. Uh, so on that front, it's it's a well-made movie. It's, there's some beautiful shots, some great camera work, as you would expect from Mike Flanagan. I love the sets. I think all the sets look great. I think the town looks great. I think the Overlook looks fantastic. There's a lot of good stuff here. But the story, the story drags. It doesn't suck me in. It doesn't interest me. And none of the characters, new characters, are 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 you know, mind-blowing and captivating enough to make me overlook that. So I do find the movie, quite frankly, to be kind of boring, unfortunately. Uh, and that's a knock for me. So all that being said, I gave this movie a 6.75. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I don't really read a lot of reviews on movies. Um, I like to just kind of go in without any other outside sources, you know, skewing my my perspective on it but i did see ign's review on this and i thought that it was very well put it says dr sleep works best when it's doing its own thing rather than recreating parts of the shining and i agree with that because like i said at the end of the movie it just feels like it's distracting for me that because it's like okay they're trying to win me over by all this nostalgia from a movie that i do think is great but then during my second watch through of this movie that's when i realized that this just would have been much better as a miniseries. They could have expanded on some storylines they didn't really uh, explain enough and really taken their time. Like I said, it's two and a half hours. You add six more hours to it, and boom, you you got us. You got us something that I can watch, I can break down, I can really invest my time in and get interested in, and take a break when I need to. Um, I didn't know how to how to rate this movie. I forgot my kills. My favorite kill is a uh, Andy and Billy combo because you know Andy got. She got gotten that that old school shootout, which I appreciate. But then I do like how she um, was able to manipulate Billy and get him to kill himself. I thought that was that was at least cool usage of her powers. Like we got to see what her gift was. Least favorite kill. I wanted to put Billy here though because he was too good of a guy and he didn't deserve it. But I went with Abra's dad because he legit didn't deserve it. Like he was not involved in it at all, and it was off screen as well. So Abra's dad. But as far as the rating, I didn't really know how to give a rating to this movie. So I had to give it two scores and take the average. Um, the first score was how much I enjoyed it, and then more of an objective critique of the quality of the movie. So on the enjoyability, it's a, it's a fucking one. It's bad. I didn't enjoy it at all. Uh, the quality, I went with a six and a half, though, because while the acting, the score, the atmosphere, all the nods to the shine were really good, the overall story just wasn't great to me. And then a lot of these special effects just looked awful, especially considering 
the budget that we got and that this was made 2019, I would expect more. Um, so I gave it a six and a half there. So that gives us an average of a 3.75. That's the score I went with. Uh, Halloween <laughs> ends, Cloverfield, Baba Duke, Spiral. All those movies were movies that I rated around the same. But the difference is I would watch all of those movies back to back on repeat before I ever watch this movie again. So Whoa. I will Bobby never Duke, Halloween ends. I don't know about that one, pal. Absolutely. Halloween ends has Andy Matichek. It's head and shoulders better Fair. than this piece of crap. Fair. Fair. I will never watch this movie again unless I'm forced to, and I fully expect some hate mail. Sorry, not sorry. Thanks for being Canadian there, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, my favorite kill was the crow. Um, my least favorite kill. I picked Billy. Uh, or Abra's dad. Um, I think you know Dustin mentioned the same thing. I think when uh, when during that last set of scenes where Abra's dad, Abra's dad died. But um, and I do like that we can all watch the same movie and come away with completely different points of view, except for Halloween ends. Nico mentioned The Shining. Like I said during that review, that I don't feel like The Shining explained The Shine enough for me, and particularly to know what the fuck it was. So. That's another reason that and Dustin's complete hatred of this movie. Lo- that's why I love doing this show. Uh, put it plain and dry. It's pretty much a perfect movie to me. It's everything I hoped The Shining would be, but wasn't. Uh, to be fair, this also doesn't exist without The Shining. So I, I think I'm more of a-, a fan of the book when it comes to the first one than Kubrick's movie, obviously. And and this one helped show me because show me that I liked the book better because it explained so much that I was missing in the first one. Um, if we're just go by going by the movie, I think Flanagan's terrific. I think everything about this movie is pretty perfect to me. We've done 270 plus episodes. Thanks to Kevin Scanlon. Uh, we know we have done almost 200 reviews. Um, I think I, I know I said that I love this movie, but maybe, maybe you didn't understand how much until now, because I'm giving it a perfect 10. Uh, I think, I think it deserves to be, with, oh, 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 it deserves oh, oh. to be with the other ten movies that I've get or that I've given uh, a perfect ten. Shout out Kevin oh, Scanlon again for that one. Um, it should be more if I could go back. I'd give Scream One and Nightmare on Elm Street perfect ten. But for now, uh, this makes it eleven for me. Perfect ten. Mike, what was your score again? Six point seven five. Okay, that gives us a composite score of a 6.4375. And IMDb is rating as that is a 7.3. So we're pretty close thanks to Brian bringing yeah, that average close. up. Yeah, I said, Brian, <laughs> I said Brian brought us way up. I would also retroactively give Scream a 10. So maybe when we re-review we're, Scream down the gonna, road, it'll get a 10. We're going to redo it. <laughs> I know. We're going to redo Scream. I mean... That movie deserves it. All right. Anywho, uh, any final thoughts on Doctor Sleep for I shout out the blood donors? And then Mike is going to announce his pick for next week, the winner. Then I'll announce my four that y'all can vote on that have already been posted, but we're doing this episode late. So fuck it. All right. Blood donors, camper level reoccurring. Clayton J, Nina, Michelle Mirza, Andrew Ferguson, the horror movie crew podcast, Alex Seligson, Eric Doolittle, Sean Irwin, Brian Samick, and Michael Evans. Our camp counselor reoccurring are Dennis Kennedy, Edwin Hernandez Gunn, Joe Swinford, Jennifer Davidson, a Too Close to Home podcast, Heather Smith, Kyle Denise, all the way from Australia, Adrian Aiello, Jake Hambrick, Clay Moore, Karen, Matt Strickland, and Gail Kuntz. And then we also just got a new final guide donor, and that is Kenneth Welch, and we'll be doing his movie review in a few weeks. 
Uh, really appreciate y'all. Y'all take a big burden off of us. I can't stress that enough. Uh, Mike, announce your winner for next week. Now announce my choices. Yes, yeah, so I went over the poll already, but it was nope, smile. Uh, sh- sh- I'm drawing a blank on my own poll. The, <laughs> the menu and, ah, uh, damn, I forget the other one. It doesn't matter. The menu was the winner, which I'm very excited about. I love this movie. I would have been fine with any of the choices because I did an all 2022 poll and my inspiration for that was coming off of, you know, horror classic month. I was like, all right, let's bring it all the way to the most modern movies we can get. And also my wife has seen all these movies. That was the other one. So she can actually find an episode that she'll want to listen to. So I'm glad the menu won. It probably won because of how many times my wife voted for it because she loved it as well. So I'm very happy that we get to do the menu. I'm very excited to talk about it. Dude, it was a close vote, honestly. I mean, it, it was. was like it was like all within a vote or two. Then the menu just pulled away. So shout out to the menu. I'm looking forward to it. And speaking of a divisive movie, I think next week will be a good discussion on that as well. Yes. Uh, my go on our social media, all of them. My four choices are out there: The Hills Have Eyes remake, uh, Dead Silence, Lights Out, and Don't Breathe. Uh, all movies I've been jonesing to pick. So go vote, and uh, I'm excited to review them. Uh, but I'll go ahead and announce it as well. Scream 6 just came out on digital. We're going to be reviewing Scream 6 next. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, any final thoughts, guys, before we get out of here? That's it, brother. All right. Sorry for the delay. Uh, just had some internet issues. We really appreciate y'all support. We appreciate y'all listening. Uh, go check out mine and Dustin's quick little instant reaction to Evil Dead Rise if you haven't. If you've seen that movie, uh, it was fun. Definitely go check out our review. Thank you for listening. We appreciate y'all. Have a good one. Just want to remind everybody. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.